I'm Dr. Anthony Smith of Alashe Center for Enrichment, and welcome to Black Folks Do Therapy, where we endeavor to challenge you to think critically about your mental health and overall wellness. Our goal is to inspire you to align your actions and values so that you might live your life fully 86,400 seconds every single day. We do this in part by asking questions and raising issues that you may not have previously considered. Ultimately, we encourage you to do those things that help you to live your best life consistently, always working towards balance. We're here at the practice of Dr. Satira Streeter, who is the owner of Ascension's private practice here in Washington, D.C. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Yes. Um, it's a beautiful practice. Thank you. Yeah, you've done a great job with the design, with the feel, the energy is just very warm and inviting. Um, what did you do to create that? How, how did you make that a part of, of what it is you do here? You know, I, by the time I um, started this, this organization, I was, um, I believe I had been a therapist for maybe four years. And I really sought to create a space that I would want to go to for mm -hmm. therapy. I, I wanted to put the things on the walls that I would want to see, mm -hmm. um, the things that would make me com comfortable and to make it a healing space. Mm -hmm. Okay. And how, how have your clients reacted to that? They love it. Um, mm -hmm. Most clients, when they walk in, they talk about, um, you know, that it feels good. Another thing that's on our, our side is that there are a lot of the houses in this part of D.C., in Southeast D.C., are built the exact same way so there's mm. automatically a feeling of oh my goodness this is just like on peach's house right, um right. so you know okay. right then with it not being um that stiff and sterile therapy center that they they may have heard of or been to before you know there's a feeling of ease okay good good all right so let's talk a little bit about you how did you get into to doing therapy and um doing it in the way that you do it, right. which we'll go into more detail about. Absolutely. I, um, you know, in, unfortunately growing up in the 80s, um, my community was hit by the, the crack epidemic just like most others in the inner city. And I, um, because of my mother's addiction, and she also had um, some issues with mental illness as well. She was diagnosed with what they called back then as, as manic depressive, which we now know to be bipolar disorder. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the first thing they did when they put me in foster care is they sent me to therapy. Mm -hmm. So I was about 10 years old, and I was looking at this, um, this European-American woman, and I would sit there, and she would sit there, and she would ask me questions, and I was clear that as soon as we started that she had no idea what it was like to be a little black girl growing mm. up in the inner city. You were aware of that at 10? I was aware of that at 10 and I also was aware that I could do this better and I also was aware that I was going to. Mm. Um, so I figured out a way to, 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 it's funny now, you know, I was like this, I'm not going to get anything out of this, but you know, just like now I was greedy back then. I, I love snacks. so. <laughs> I would say, um, huh, I guess I would talk if I really had like some potato chips and some soda. That that maybe that'll help me talk. Uh -huh. So every week I would come, and she was like, "Let's go to the vending machine so we can talk." And you know, so she would buy me snacks, and I would just sit there and you know, kind of just I remember kind of playing with her and just telling her stuff like, "Ooh, 
it sure was bad when they were shooting in my school yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we did this for a whole, about a year. She finally terminated the sessions, thank goodness. Mm-hmm. But again, that just let me know that there was there was other things she could have done that would have been helpful. Right. Besides buy me snacks and plate uno. But, um, yeah, so I knew. So by the time I graduated from, from high school and went to Wilberforce University, I knew I was going to be a psychology major. I knew that I didn't want to take a break in between. I knew I wanted to go straight into to get my doctorate and um, I knew I wanted to work in my community mm-hmm. and it's all come to fruition. So she, I, I guess she was necessary in right. my life for right. that reason. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So it's amazing to me that you could have that level of awareness at mm-hmm. 10 years old. So there's a couple of things going on. One is being 10 and appreciating that uh, I could just tell her whatever I need to tell her to get through. So that speaks to a lack of connection and the inability for her to really give you what you needed to bring about true healing. On the flip side, having gone through that experience, Mm -hmm. I'm sure that now informs the way you work with children who are in a similar situation and maybe are able to connect with them in a way that can bring about true healing. What what would you say about that? Right. I think just coming, I think that's one of the values of um, African-American therapists who have done the work within themselves Mm -hmm. and then also had a community um, to do the work through because you come from a place of knowing you Mm -hmm. come from a place of being able to connect and it's not in another thing this is not about a paycheck you know to be honest it's a nonprofit organization and I um, set out that I you know never wanted a big paycheck from this organization I wanted to be able to sustain it and to pay the other therapists I have um, but I don't take a salary from Ascensions because it's really my labor of love and it's what mm-hmm. I want to do. So this is my contribution to my community so I can go home and sleep. Even, you know, I turn on the news, I see all kinds of stuff. But I really do know every day I'm getting up and I'm trying to do my part. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's and when, when you're not doing therapy as a job, when you're doing it as a service, I think it makes all the difference. Uh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So how do you connect with those children mm-hmm. so I get to know them I want to hear their stories I want to let them know that I understand but you know I, I want to know more and I we talk about being on a journey that we go through together and how we can work through this together how I feel like even just like I knew that I had some expertise at 10 I let them know that they have some things that they know about themselves and mm-hmm. I empower them to know that ultimately they're going to create their own healing and I'm really here just to, to give them tools um, in order to get to where they need to be. Mm-hmm. Okay, great, mm-hmm. great. And they respond to you, I'm sure. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, so yeah. Um, I, I, I see far more adults now because mm-hmm. one thing that I know for sure is working with parents and being able to help them work through their stuff and create a home environment that's what their children need is the best therapy that exists. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. I focus most of my work on, on the parents, but I do have other psychologists here that focus um, just on children and do parents secondary. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Now you mentioned something very interesting, um, doing your own work, mm-hmm. which I, I don't think enough psychologists mm-hmm. talk about that process and actually engage that process, to be mm-hmm. quite honest. Um, can you talk about what that means for you? What that has meant for you, I should say. Right. So for me, a lot of it, you know, I am a Christian. So a lot of that has been my faith community. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely, it's important for me that I'm allowed to be a Christian. 
with you know African roots and understanding um, you know where um, Christianity comes from and all of that so being able to be in a church that would never think of having a white Jesus on the wall per se mm-hmm. and who we really would go with liberation theology okay. um, versus prosperity or or any of the other devils going to get you or judgment type right, therapies right. We, um, of, of, of theologies we don't I don't believe in that um, so I think that the church has been a huge point um, there have been various times in my life that I've stopped in for a therapy session or three mm-hmm. <laughs> um, in terms of groups in terms of I'm really making sure that I surround you know myself my community mm-hmm. um, my friends and the family members that I connect to are those that are also on this life journey to be healthy and to to be giving to others so making sure that I surround myself with those people and then also making sure that I'm able to to release you know some of us are boggled down by guilt or by you know the woulda shoulda couldas um, you know working through journaling and all of that to make sure I release the things that I've, I've done already that I didn't like so much so that I could just make plans to do things better. Mm-hmm. And so every day I just try to get better and better. Okay. So the things that you work with clients and encourage them to do uh, a lot of times are things that you've already done yourself. Right. And, and still continue to be in and the still, process of doing it. Right. Absolutely. Because it's ongoing. Mm-hmm. Right. We're mm-hmm. constantly working to evolve ourselves Absolutely. and transform our lives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Spirit, how does spirit manifest in the work that you do with people? I would say the biggest way is there'll be times that um, clients will share things. You know, I work in I work in Southeast DC, and this is one of the this is the most disadvantaged area in the city in terms of just kind of being cut off from the prosperity that you see when you come to Washington DC and go on a tour. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually separated by a whole river um, wow. now that now it's slowly being gentrified um but historically this has been the poorest part of the city Mm -hmm. um and with that that means you know stories of poverty stories of sexual molestation stories of despair and substance abuse um come out on these couches every single day and there are sometimes that things happen that are so horrific that you know i'll sit and for a moment i won't know what to say Mm -hmm. and i feel like that's when spirit comes in when i'm just quiet like you know i'll say that i'm i'm sorry that that happened to you Mm -hmm. but the next word usually is you know it comes from spirit basically guiding me to what to say Mm -hmm. to make this person be able to process the things that they've gone through but knowing that they don't have to stay there Mm -hmm. um is is where spirit really comes in Mm -hmm. okay that's got to be um taxing work mm-hmm. I would think mm-hmm. um, dealing with that day after day mm-hmm. hour after mm-hmm. hour mm-hmm. Um, do you find that to be the case I do I do find it to be the case but I also you know have some very healthy um, practices in place like my my husband is pretty much the opposite of me he works he was a he gra- he graduated he retired from the military after 20 years and now he has a government job so his you know, very technical, so it's not a whole lot of, um, you know, we're not swamping stories about, um, you know, his heavy stuff or whatever. His He's very technical and, and things. And that's, you know, I used to, I think that's where I failed in dating before I got married. Like, I would try to get with these, these people who were also really deep in this work, and we were kind of just in it together and just kind of miserable together oftentimes. Mm-hmm. But being able to be with someone who, you know, has another outlook and is very spiritual himself and is able to 
um, just be very black and white about everything. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, that's refreshing. Um, and then I have these two amazing kids. I have an eight and a 10 year old and they don't allow for, for me to bring a lot of stuff at home or bring that heaviness. So there has to always be a ritual of release. Like when I leave this space every night, um, you know, I, I, I do a prayer and there's a ritual of thanking God for the opportunity for everyone that has come in to share. I um, ask him to allow me to to take comfort in that I've done all that I could while they were in there mm-hmm. here for that hour. Um, there's nothing else for me to do in terms of that in order for me to be fresh when they come next week. I have to be able to release and you know enter my family's life mm-hmm. and be there fully present mm-hmm. so that I can, you know, when I see them next Tuesday, can pick back up. And, and start the work all over again. So I'm very, yeah. very able to, to do the work and give it my very all when I'm yeah. in here. And after I've done that, I'm able to release and go to the next client. And then after the last client, able to go home and give my children exactly what they need. Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful thing. I think um, that's something very valuable that a lot of people could benefit from using. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I'll encourage people to incorporate that into the work that they're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. Like that. Um, so, let's talk a little bit about your work here. Um, okay. Talk about the populations that you see and uh, the things you like working with, um, the challenging things. Right. Um, right. So I see, um, I definitely see a range. I see a range of of clients. I would say most of my clients, probably about sixty five percent, are. Um, you know, struggling to to keep their head above water, struggling um, in terms of finances, struggling in terms of um, traumatic past and, um, you know, a lot of things that they've they've gone through. And then I have another portion of clients who who actually are in good spaces, who have been able to achieve, um, you know, great jobs and great marriages and, and things of that nature, but still, it may be things from childhood that still haunt them because you know most of us don't have to go too far back in our family line to have gone to somebody that's really struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So with that being the case, there's still that childhood stuff that's still present sure. that we're we're working through. Um, I would say um, I, I do a lot of couples therapy. I'm actually in the process of a certification for another certification for couples work. So I'm seeing a lot of couples and, and doing those tools. Um, I have a lot of same-sex couples and, and heterosexual couples. Um, but one thing all of my clients have in common are they're, they're all African-American. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, wow. And that is by, that was, that's on purpose. I, mm-hmm. I just know the stats in terms of there are not that many African-American psychologists, right. especially clinical psychologists that have been mm-hmm. um, trained and gone through all the process that we have to come go through to, to be a clinician. Um, so I just feel like if it's only you know, about 5% of us in right. the United States, then I need to spend all of my right. energy on, on my folks mm-hmm. and, and making sure that I'm able to connect with them. So mm-hmm. we've been very um, intentional about making sure that happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could spend all your time and still only put a dent in mm-hmm. um, what really needs that's to happen. Mm-hmm. So, so that, that's a beautiful thing. Right. Okay. All right. So do you do work with um, sexual abuse? I do. Um, can you talk a little bit about the some of the things you see in that area and mm-hmm. 
your approach is to how you help people work through that. Right. So I just am thinking about the last week of therapy. Um, I, you know, I think about my client who was abused for about 10 years by who she thought was her biological father, but it turned out it was her stepfather. Um, he continued, her mother passed away and he fought to get custody of her so that he can continue to abuse her um, until she ended up running away, you know, years, years later. But she has been plagued. She's now, you know, a mature woman in her 60s mm. and is still very much you know, stuck in that space of wow. this is all the things that, that was done to me and this is how horrible it felt. And, mm-hmm. you know, I loved my mother very much, but she wasn't able to protect me and then she died on me. Um, and this has been, you know, it, it's, it's just caused, you know, thing after thing throughout her life that she still continues to struggle. So one thing that we work a lot on is, is releasing the guilt. You know, I, I, I hear a lot of sexual abuse survivors you know as adults they talk about well I should have I should have told or I should have ran or I should have kicked them um, but that's all in our 40 50 60 year old mind you know right. looking back but right. um, you know I, I allow them to you know I, I tell them to allow themselves to think of their self and their experience as that eight-year-old little girl or that eight-year-old little boy who was scared who believed the person when they said, if you know, if you tell, you're going to be the one in trouble. Right. Um, you're the one that the family's going to be really mad at. Mm-hmm. Um, so I believe, you know, I hear those things. So we we talk about that. We talk about releasing their guilt. You know, I'm not big on, you know, there's a lot of, and this is a conflict because as a Christian, you know, you talk about forgive, forgive, forgive. Mm-hmm. And that's not necessarily my thing because I feel like sometimes forgiveness as we talk about it, is like kind of just releasing the person from their guilt and moving on like anything, never, nothing ever happened. But something did happen. Mm-hmm. And to tell somebody that they should just forgive and forget, to me, is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, what I do talk about is being able to release it from their spirit so it doesn't continue to hurt them. Mm-hmm. And so they are not continuing to drink the poison for somebody else's um, misdeed right. towards you. So we do a lot of work surrounding that. Mm-hmm. So what does that, what, what would it mean to release and, and let it go? What would that actually look like in a, in a practical sense? Right, so what it, it would not, it would, it would be being able to move from being stuck there. It would be um, being able to not allow this person to control your adulthood the way they controlled your childhood. Mm-hmm. It would be um, restoring yourself and being able to tell yourself that you are wonderful and brilliant and you didn't deserve any of that. Um, and you are not what they said you were. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be being able to treat other people in a way where you value them and you see their value just because you see your value. Um, it would be being able to set goals for your life, to be able to, to work through everything you need to work through and be present in the present. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you advocate that they confront their uh, perpetrator? Mm-hmm. It depends. It depends on where they are with that. You know, one thing about being sexually abused is is that your power was taken away. So in, in the process of releasing it or con- confrontation and all of that, you know, my thing is always you get to take your power back. You mm-hmm. don't, no one gets to tell you that you have to tell because that's, you know, we're famous for you. You better tell somebody, but no, nobody has to. If you are not in a situation where you're comfortable enough to tell, when you're comfortable enough to um, to confront the person, 
you know, we talk about doing it in your own time so that the first, and we, we do that through steps. Mm-hmm. You know, for this particular person, her perpetrator has been dead for 20 years. Um, so there's not much kind of confronting she could do, but we've done a lot of letter writing. Um, she started her novel about it. Um, she started to um, tell her story to help others. Mm-hmm. So being able to figure out where you are with that and that healing process and what you need to do with that. Now, of course, that's very different if we're talking about a child that's being abused mm-hmm. because we're going to tell and we're going to make sure um, that this child is safe and this child is protected um, and this child gets the help they need and the person who's doing this to them is punished um, mm-hmm. to the fullest extent that we can. Sure. Um, but, yeah, for adults that has happened, you know, years before, um, we work with them through their that process. Mm-hmm. Have you had any situations? I've had some situations, I wonder if you have, where people are still... Um, involved in family dynamics with the perpetrator like they have to go to uh, holiday dinners or reunions and see people who um, did these things to them Um, have you yeah unfortunately a lot a lot you know that leads me to think of another situation where um, my, my client you know was abused by this man her stepfather for probably 10 years and when she did tell her mother, her mother, you know, said she was lying. And then her mother, um, you know, said, well, I talked to him and he didn't, he said he didn't do it. So I'm going to stay. So her mother is still with her abuser. And now this woman is in her thirties. Um, but in order to have a relationship with her mother, she still has to see this person. Mm-hmm. Um, so figuring out how to, to do that balance, but that's traumatic. Every right. time you go for a visit, absolutely, so. and it tr- it, re- it triggers and right. re brings up those feelings that right. you're trying to work on, and then it also you know puts her in a position where you know the my mother, the person who's supposed to love me most, mm-hmm. is choosing somebody else over me, right. and it's okay right. with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How do you help? What do you what do you do? How do you help them through? Remember that when I talked about that whole spirit mm-hmm. <laughs> of what. <laughs> Because if it's the tire, I'm like, 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 let's go on and slash his tires and do some things. But that, of course, is not right. what Dr. Streeter right. <laughs> could right. say. So I do rely on spirit to talk about how um, can you set the boundary and possibly, you know, say, well, mom, I would like to take you to lunch because I don't want to go to the house. Or mm-hmm. mom, please come over to my house to visit me because I'm not comfortable around him. Mom, make sure that my children are never, if you want to see your grandchildren, you know, you have to see them out. Um, because my grandchildren, your grandchildren can never be around mm-hmm. him. So it's really kind of coming up with those safety plans, both for her children and then also for her own mental um, mental health. So it sounds like you're empowering her to have some very, uh, he, her or him, to have mm-hmm. some very clear right. boundaries mm-hmm. and to adhere to that. Absolutely. Um, do you have to also get them strong enough to be able to do that? Absolutely. And it's, it's, it's really, again, it's a, a continuous work in progress. It's, um, it's affirmations. It's, um, it's, it's support. It's, it's talking through. It's um, how you feel about it right now. Because, you know, sometimes even in this whole thing, you may feel like, you know, oh, I've gotten over it. Oh, I'm fine. Um, but then something else will come and trigger everything all over again. So being able to let her know that it's okay that sometimes she feels like she's all stressed out or depressed over it again. Um, and that's not a relapse. That's just her being human and really going through these feelings, this trauma. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
Very good. Are there some similar um, boundaries that need to be looked at in terms of domestic violence? Mm-hmm. There are. Um, there's, you know, one thing that we talk a lot about is characterological domestic violence and situational. Um, you know, I used to think, you know, anytime somebody hits you, you need to, to go running and, you know, how would you stay and go through that? Um, but what we know now, there are some situations that, you know, it's a situation that there'll be some type of violence and that'll have some really clear um, characteristics that will be um, not that your that the, the violence is being used to intimidate or being used to, to control. It's like we both lost our our cool and we end up fighting each other. But the, the woman or the victim is able to say, no, I'm not scared of him, or no, I don't think this is happened, it's gonna happen all the time, or this happens has happened before. But then there's those those perpetrators that it's just part of their character mm-hmm. to try to dominate, to try to control, um, to try to intimidate. And those are, are that's very different mm-hmm. because those situations are often um, you know, much more dire. And the victim is often in a space where she's much more helpless and, and more in danger. So we deal with the two very, very different. Okay. Um, but then we also, you know, we don't pass judgments because there's, there's times I've sat in the chair and I'm like, okay, you know, you have to, you have to leave. What do you, what do you mean? What are you subjecting your children to? This is awful. Um, but also knowing that leaving is a whole long um, mm-hmm. process because there's a lot of things that have to be figured out first. Mm-hmm. And that's all being done under the, the veil of the fear and the control. Sure, sure. So there are financial considerations, there are living uh, Mm -hmm. considerations, Mm -hmm. there's uh, work considerations, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of things to try to put into place. And if the person doesn't have the internal strength to Mm -hmm. be able to do that, or even the wherewithal to know how to do that, they feel stuck. Exactly. And so you're trying to help them get unstuck and trying to recognize the strength that they have within Mm -hmm. so that they can then actualize and put into place the things that you all have been working on absolutely okay all right good stuff mm-hmm. good stuff any other areas that you work with that um you want to talk about mm-hmm. so that's of course we 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 talk we a lot of clients that come in they're, they're coming in because of depression or anxiety mm-hmm. um and just really working through that, letting them know that depression doesn't mean you're weak, letting them know that there are chemical implications in depression and it's not something that you can just get over. Um, sometimes there is some work and some attention that has to be done. Um, we talk a lot about the, the strong black woman myth mm-hmm. and how you know you feel like you're not strong if you're not handling everything and you know how you can't cry and all this type of stuff and basically saying, no, you absolutely can cry and you mm-hmm. absolutely can be overwhelmed. Let's figure out how to, to work through that. Um, we talk a lot, unfortunately, about the imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. where black women get into different positions and they're like, I don't deserve this, and people are going to recognize that I don't deserve this, and then it's all going to be taken away or I'm going to be embarrassed. So we work through all of that. So there's definitely different layers of mm-hmm. things that we end up working through in this space. Okay, okay. So um, do you feel like the people who have been coming into you talk a lot about some of the a lot of the societal issues that are going on and the impact that's having on them right definitely from a standpoint um um again this is dc so uh-huh. a lot of people <laughs> here number one you know the the enemy is pretty much down the street and uh-huh. he is you know and now um 
you know, other folks are emboldened to, to mistreat or feel superior or to exert their privilege. Um, so we talk about that, but we talk about it a lot. Like in, um, with this being in D.C., there used to be a time that you would hear about people moving to D.C. and, and especially from the South, because um, you want to come up here and get your good government job. So we have a lot of government workers who, you know, some have, um, you know, started early and just kind of been able to go up the ranks. Um, others have been able to do education, gone into to, to government and been, in, you know, automatically went into higher ranks. But there's a sense now that there's not, you know, the safety that the government used to provide. Um, there's a sense now that because of some of the government appointees that, you know, racism is, is loud and clear and they're not able to get the promotions and the respect that they once were, were, were able to receive. So most of it is talking through that, like how their work situation has changed. Okay. All right. Good stuff. So I'd like for you to leave us with three things that our listeners can apply to their lives to help get up, to help deal with situations mm-hmm. like you were just describing, particularly in this hostile climate. Um, mm-hmm. Three self-care tips that um, people can take and utilize and apply in their own lives. I would say the first is balance. Like there, um, there has to be a time that you, you focus on work, you know, the time that you focus on um, solving all of communities problem the community's problems but you know there has to be a time where you actually do have fun that you go to the movies that you hang out with friends that you um, just are able to release so without that if you you know I tell my clients everybody needs a thing so whether that thing is um, you know dancing or art or, or, or something you have to have a thing that mm-hmm. you're into that has nothing to do well, what you're doing for the, a living and nothing to do with some of the problems you may have. You have to have some type of release. So I would say that was number one. Um, number two, I think journaling is is essential. Mm. And being able to, because what journaling does is there's, you know, especially as you continue to, to age, there's all kinds of stuff that's just floating around in your head. Mm-hmm. You know, things about your family of origin, things that have happened to you in early adulthood, worries you may have about your future. And with all that stuff rumbling around, what happens with journaling, it allows you to, to make it tangible. It allows you to pour it out on the paper. And then you can make decisions on what you need to do with those things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is this something I need to process some more? This, is this something that I really, you know, feel comfortable with and I can pack this away? So I would say number two is journaling. Um, and number three, I would say having both a spiritual and a physical regimen this part of your life. So um, because I only had three... Um, choices, yeah. so I would I'll put those two together. But your spiritual and, and physical health have to be attended to. You should be doing something in terms of movement, whether again it's, it's Zumba or it's you know line dancing or or yoga. It needs to be something that you're doing to be intentional about your body and mm-hmm. the care of it and what you're putting into it. Um, and then spiritually, whatever, there needs to be some type of spiritual practice, especially for African-Americans. We're, we're people, we're spiritual people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, whether it's um, Islam or Christianity or um, one of the African traditions, it has to be something that you're doing to connect with um, the creator so that you understand that this, your life is not limited to what you see every day, that there is something greater mm-hmm. um, and there is someone greater that's mm-hmm. taking care of you and that you can connect with. 
good. That's beautiful. That's I like those. Those are some good things that I think are, you know, practical knowledge. But sometimes we need to hear it and go reflect. And go, yeah, I can do that. I need to do that. I'm going to commit to doing that. Absolutely. So, okay. Any other last words you'd like to share with our audience? Right. I just that I appreciate what you're doing now and what you've always done for the liberation of of the African mind, um, being able to give a um, down-to-earth version of therapy and, and so that African Americans can know that therapy is for us. It's not something that means you're weak. It's not something that means you're betraying your family or your God because you should just be praying about it or you should just be talking to your siblings about it. Um, you know, therapy is important. Therapy you know, again, we have white folks talking about, oh, we're going to get life coaches mm-hmm. or whatever. No, mm-hmm. you know, therapy can can be your your way of, of getting together your life. Right. Um, and it should be something that's used in our community and value. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, thank you. I, I value you. I really appreciate um, the work that you're doing and this beautiful practice. I think that anybody that comes here, and I, I know you're practically full, um, but still, let's talk about how people can get in touch with you if they want to mm-hmm. uh, come here or see any of your um, people on your staff or get mm-hmm. connected. Mm-hmm. Uh, right, so our website is the number 2, toascend.org, 2-A-S-C-E-N-D.org, and from there you will find the information, find our bios, um, and learn more about what we do here at Ascensions and mm-hmm. what are our um, what is it like to have a nonprofit organization um, in in Southeast DC mm-hmm. that is practically giving away therapy mm-hmm. when need be? Yeah, good, good stuff, good mm-hmm. stuff. Okay, so we've had a wonderful talk today. We we really enjoyed visiting with Dr. Satira Streeter. In closing, I want to remind you to always be a critical thinker as it relates to your mental health and well-being. We always want to inspire you to consciously question your choices to ensure that you are doing those things that bring you happiness and fulfillment. Please don't forget to subscribe to our channel and share the information with others who might benefit. Connect with us on Twitter at HeartMindHealer and visit our Facebook and Instagram pages at Alashe Center, A-L-A-S-E Center. Our website is alashe.net. A-L-A-S-E dot net. And feel free to contact us for any consultations or questions you might have. Things that I might be missing. Running too fast to stop to listen.